friend who had passed away to a heart attack. Um, another person I know uh, had someone they lost, they loved, um, close to them from cancer this week. And uh, then yesterday, uh, I received the news of a teenager from our last church uh, was actually shot and killed in like a murder-suicide awful situation. Lived right down the road from us at our last church. Just a terrible, terrible situation, tragedy. Uh, he was 19 years old, and I believe he had two small children already, but um, just a, uh, a tragic thing. And, and so I was thinking about that in, in light of my study this week and how, you know, these aren't stories from other countries or even other states, right? Right in our own backyard and our own community and communities, there are tragedies and sickness and pain and suffering and to various degrees, right? There's, there's struggle. And, and so it, it brings me to Romans 8 to say, in, in a world full of pain, death, suffering, and uncertainty, aren't you glad that we can have a certainty and an assurance of eternal life through Jesus Christ? That no matter what happens to us and our loved ones, if we are in Christ, if we know Him, if we've trusted in Him, no matter what happens, our eternity is secure. Isn't that good? You want to be that kind of believer that one day when the preacher preaches your funeral, he doesn't have to tell lies, right? You want the preacher to be up and say, yes, he was a believer in Christ and his life showed it. She was a Christian and her life showed it. Don't make the preacher have to get up and not know what to say. Thankfully, we know this morning there's nothing more important than our relationship with Christ and knowing that God holds us and that we belong to Him. Not everyone this morning has the same assurance that we do as Christians. And we're going to see as we go further, especially in Romans chapter 8 here, and we heard some of it this morning, there is a blessing of all blessings that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Or as the Gospel of John says, that no one can take us out of the Father's hand. And so if nothing else today, I hope you will just sit and think through the blessing of the assurance of eternal life. In our text, I'm going to give you four, four means of assurance, or four things that happen that, in our lives that bring about assurance. So let's read briefly these, these four verses. If you found Romans 8.14, say word. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Four verses, and I'm going to give you four means of assurance. Number one, one way to know you're saved or you have an assurance of salvation is when you are led by the Spirit. Pretty plain and simple back in verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit 
are the sons of God. There are many marks of a Christian. Love for God, love for God's word, love for God's church, a hatred of sin. But one way those things are seen is when we are led by the Holy Spirit. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, right? We sang about it earlier. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And he indwells us, and he makes us new, and then he leads us. He is a he, by the way, the Holy Spirit, a a person in the sense that guides our lives. But look at the text. For as many as are led. The word, the, the verb there for led and are led is a, it speaks to something that already exists in your life. It already exists. The leading of the Spirit here is not being described back in verse 14 as the call that brings you to salvation, although the Spirit does do that. The point of verse 14, Andrew, if you'll put that up for me, please. The point of verse 14 is that the, those who are the sons of God, the daughters of God, the children of God, they are led by the Spirit of God. And so anyone who claims to be a Christian, but their life never shows any evidence of the leadership of the Spirit of God, they are misled. They are deceived, right? But you might think this morning, like I've thought before, I don't always feel led by the Spirit, right? Or the Spirit may lead me, and sometimes what do we like to do? Go our own way, lead ourselves and not follow the leadership of the Spirit. Sometimes we grieve the Spirit or ignore the Spirit. And He doesn't just make us like a robot. The Spirit of God works with our responsibilities as well to follow Him. And that's not the point of verse 14. The point is not to say that we're always 24-7 led by the Spirit, that we never mess up, that we never go astray. But it does mean this. Our lives are generally characterized by being led of the Spirit of God. Notice what he doesn't say in this verse. He doesn't say, as many as go to church, they are the sons of God. He doesn't say that. As many as... Give offering, those are the sons of God. As many as read their Bibles, those are the sons of God. As many as are baptized, those are the sons of God. As many that are patriotic Americans, those are the sons of God. I could go on and on and on. That's not what it says, is it? What's it say? For as many as what? Are led by the Spirit of God. The leading of the Spirit is not only something that happens inside of us, but watch, it is displayed outside of us, isn't it? The Holy Spirit brings about these evidences. As a matter of fact, Galatians 5 calls them the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And so if the Spirit is leading you, you will see these fruits come about in your life. It's no wonder that many people don't have assurance of salvation when they don't follow after Jesus, when they don't follow the leadership of the Spirit. Of course you don't have assurance. But I believe God wants us to be assured. As a matter of fact, the whole little book of 1 John in the back of your Bible is written so that we will have assurance. 1 John, he, John wrote, These things have a written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What's it look like to be led by the Spirit? I've already mentioned a few things. I've mentioned the fruit of the Spirit, but I want to mention one more important thing, and that is when we're led by the Spirit, 
we will begin to clearly understand biblical truths that maybe we used to not quite clearly understand. One job of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate truth in our hearts. And he causes us to love the Word and to love God and to hate sin. He brings about a godly conviction and a godly sorrow in our lives toward sin. Have you ever known somebody in your life? It could be a family member, a friend, co-worker, and they just refuse to receive Christ. They refuse to believe in Christ or God or the Bible. And you think to yourself, why don't they believe? You ever thought that? Like, why don't this person, why don't they believe? It's so simple. It's, to me, it seems pretty simple and pretty cut and dry. Why don't they believe? Well, I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14, it says this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned it changed my life and my preaching when i realized i can beat people over the head with the truth all day long but until the spirit of god is in their heart showing them the truth they'll never truly get it right and that's the same for you as i preach the word to you i trust that the spirit of god shows you and me what is truth and what is false you see we need the word to be led by the spirit the spirit and word go together. I would say that's probably God's two greatest blessings in our lives. The Holy Spirit in us and the word of God. I want to encourage you to read the word and to meditate on it. Someone said reading the Bible without meditating on it, medi- without meditating on it is like eating without chewing. Well, that's pretty good. Like how many of y'all are going to leave here, go to me Toro, order a burrito, Take a bite and not chew it. Just swallow it whole. You're just going to one throat that burrito. Just one swallow. First of all, you might choke, but we like to chew our food, don't we? Enjoy the flavors, right? Enjoy it. Reading the Bible without, without meditating and thinking on it is like eating without chewing. The Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and make truths known to us. Listen to me. I am 40 years old, and I went to Bible college for six years, and I went to seminary for four years. And I've studied the Bible most of my adult life, all my adult life. And there's still things I hope and pray the Spirit will bring to to truth in my life. And there has been things he's brought me to believe that I didn't used to believe. Someone said this, and this was helpful to me this week. Where does the Holy Spirit lead us? Where does the Holy Spirit lead us? First, he leads us to repentance. The point of this, by the way, in context, if you go back to what we read Um, in the earlier part of this chapter is the spirit leads us to repent of our sin he leads us to think little of self and much of jesus he leads us to truth to love to holiness and to usefulness one means of assurance is we're led by the spirit number two notice in verse 15 a second means we have intimate access to god For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. One time, it was two years ago, I was invited to the um, high school basketball state championships, and they were being played at the pavilion at Ole Miss. And, of course, a very nice facility. And, of course, you all know I enjoy basketball, and which my son's team was going to be playing that week. 
And so I was just going to go and pay my 10 bucks or 15 bucks to get in and watch the games or whatever. But a friend of mine is in the media, and he said, hey, if you'll, do some, if you'll write some short articles about the games you watch, then I'll get you a pass. I was, That's kind of cool because that's free, right? You get in free. And so he gave me this pass. It was a lanyard around my neck. And so when I walked to the front door, they said, oh, you have a pass. You, you go to that door. So I went to a special entrance, and guess what? The special entrance had a shorter line than the general entrance. This is pretty nice. I'm not paying. I'm getting in quickly through the short line. Um, I walked down to where the court was, and my, had an all-access pass. I could even sit on the chair-back seats right along the court side, where there were college coaches and, you know, people a lot more famous than me, because <laughs> I'm not famous at all. But I was like, this is, this is pretty neat for me, right, to sit right there on courtside and watch these games. And then I heard there, was a, there were two hospitality rooms with, like, legit catered food. I was like, yes, this get, keeps getting better. And so I went, and I was able to eat the food, and I ate more than I should have. Um, but also I got to go where they did the press conferences after the games where the coaches and the media would ask them questions. And, but that pass on my neck let me go wherever I wanted to go in the whole place, basically. One time I was sitting courtside, and these couple of guys tried to walk down there and sit, and the security was like looking for their pass, and they didn't have a pass. And they're like, no, keep going. <laughs> and I was like, that's right, buddy. You need a pass to get here. But I, was so, I felt so special, right, to have all the access pass. Access is important. How many of you have ever been locked out of an account online or something? Isn't that frustrating? Access to that account is important. We have the greatest access, the all access pass, if you will, to the Creator. I think that's what this verse talks about. Through the Spirit of God, He has brought us into spiritual adoption. Not the spirit of fear that is afraid that I'm always going to fall short because I can't keep the law that we've talked about in the last couple of chapters. Not that spirit of fear as a Christian anymore, but a spirit of adoption. An awareness and an understanding that God has changed our status from orphan to child. Or we can say from lost to found. And that spirit of adoption is amazing. We know what adoption is, and many of you know people who have been adopted, and it's such a beautiful picture of love and grace. And spiritual adoption is the same thing. It's when God brings us into his family. This verse reminds me of Galatians when he talks about the same type of stuff here, that, that God has adopted us, brought us in. I was looking at this, thinking about access, right? And parents... We want our kids to have access to us, right? We want our kids to come to us. I think my kids have too much access, though. It's like you can't ever get away from them. No matter where you go, they're always there. I love them. But, but don't we want our kids to have access? Even you whose kids have moved out, don't you want them, anytime they need something, hey, call? You want, to, you want them to check in? Yeah. Our Father in Heaven desires that His children, who He's adopted, He desires that we have this spirit of adoption, understanding it. Knowing it, knowing how special we should feel that he has brought us into his home. And it's an intimate access. An intimate access to a father in heaven. Whereby, look at verse 15, we can cry this, Abba, Father. You've heard this before, I'm sure. But the Abba here is, some people refer as it like Papa or Daddy. Like our children might call us Daddy. It's a little more intimate than father, necessarily. My kids rarely ever call me father, 
right? But they do call me daddy or dad. It's an intimate thing. It's an urgent thing. As a matter of fact, over in Mark 14, 36, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said this. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. In one of Jesus' most urgent moments, most heart-wrenching moments, he cried out, Abba, Father. And we can cry out to the Father as well. You think, well, I'm not Jesus. Well, of course we're not. But in Christ, as we saw last week, we have these blessings and these benefits. And one of the benefits we have in Christ is that we can relate to the Father as Jesus relates to the Father. What a privilege that God has given us. Number three, in verse 16, notice not only are we led by the Spirit, not only do we have intimate access with God, number three, we are granted inner assurance by His own Spirit. The Spirit itself, that's the Holy Spirit, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is when the God's Spirit kind of witnesses to ourselves, witnesses to us or testifies or assures us that we truly are His. I like this. Verse 16, God reminds us that he communicates with us over and over again, affirming our place in his family. How many of you had a, had a child one day, a baby, and you're like, you know what, baby, I love you. But then the rest of that baby's life, you never told it, him or her, you loved him or her. Anybody do that? Or did you grow up telling your kids you loved them all the time? Maybe every day. Hopefully every day, right? I put this in my notes for myself. I need to tell my kids every day, you are mine, I love you. Even when they do boneheaded things, right? <laughs> You're mine, and I love you. You are mine, I love you. It's a constant confirming to that child that I love them and that who do they belong to? Me. This verse says that the Holy Spirit of God regularly bears witness in my heart in some supernatural spiritual way. And the Holy Spirit, if we can say it like this, says to us, you're mine, I love you. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? That peace that God gives us, the joy, the hope. When it doesn't seem like we should have hope and we have hope anyway, when it doesn't seem like we should have peace and we have peace anyway. you know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. Many of you do. To me, that's part of this verse. That the Spirit testifies and assures us we're His children. We sang about it a while ago. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. Let me give you the fourth one. The fourth means of assurance I find in verse 17. And it's a little different than the first three. The first three are kind of like nice and happy. But the fourth one in verse 17 is we suffer with Christ. Look at the verse again. And if children, if we're children, then we're also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. There's a condition here. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may 
be also glorified together. Again, there are blessings here. There are benefits here. We're not only children of God. We're heirs of God with Christ. But he uses that condition, if we suffer with him. Are we as Christians immune from suffering and trial? We're not, are we? Did Jesus suffer? Did the apostles suffer? Did Paul, who wrote this letter, suffer? Have Christians suffered throughout the ages? Sometimes Christians have been the ones who suffered the most throughout the ages. Sometimes I feel almost guilty that I don't suffer as much as some of those folks did, right? Because we are blessed in many ways. But even though we're blessed and we live in a place where we can worship God freely and without some of that worry of being persecuted, there are still suffering that we experience, right? We're not exempt from it. And suffering doesn't guarantee that we're a Christian, but it's one of these things, as Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3.12, he said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will suffer. That verse says, we're heirs with God, joint heirs with Christ, but we're going to suffer with Christ. That's the key point there. We're not just out there suffering on our own. We're suffering like he suffered. We're suffering with him. Every one of us have burdens to bear, don't we? Some burdens are different than others. Some burdens are worse than others. But I hope that as his spirit leads us, as the, the assurance he gives us is in our lives, that we would bear our burdens prayerfully and faithfully and watch, temporarily. Because every burden you have is temporary, right? We're going to see that pretty shortly here in Romans 8. Every burden you have is temporary. One day, as verse 17 says, we will be glorified together with him. As a matter of fact, that leads to verse 18, which we'll talk about next week. But let's look at it quickly. Verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We'll discuss that next week. Let me give you a conclusion. We're led by the Spirit of God. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you can have assurance of salvation. We, we have intimate access to God. And if you don't take advantage of that, then you're missing out for sure, right? Access in the sense of prayer. We cry, Abba, Father, we pray to our Father, and He assures us, that's our third one, with His inner assurance of His Spirit. And the fourth one, we suffer with Christ. Something else I noticed in this text. In verse 15, He mentions that we've not received the spirit of slavery or bondage. And so I noticed this little progression that God's people, we were once slaves. He's made us sons and daughters. And he also makes us heirs of God with Christ. Isn't that a nice progression? And so we can glorify and praise and be thankful this morning that the Father saw us when we were sinful and chained up to sin, slaves, dead in sin. And he said, I'm going to take these slaves dead in sin, 
I'm going to make them my children. I'm going to bring them in and change their status and love them and show grace and kindness and blessing to them. Not only am I going to make them my children, they're going to be heirs with my son, Jesus Christ. That one day in eternity, they will experience the fullness of grace and love and mercy. To know that God did that through the redeeming sacrifice of Christ. What a joy for us to think on this morning. In a world full of pain, death, uncertainty, and suffering, I pray this morning that you have Christ. And for many of you who do, I pray you would be led by the Spirit of God. Don't try to do this life alone. Because you have a Father who loves you and who wants to walk with you. He is our hope for abundant life, and he is our only hope for eternal life. Let's bow together in prayer. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then after that, we're going to stand and sing uh, Jesus Painted All Again together as we just kind of respond to what God has said through his word and worship him. And So though we're almost done, let's continue to focus on what the Lord has said to us. Father, we uh, thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. These four precious verses that we studied this morning. Thank you that you give us this assurance by your Spirit. Father, I pray that there's someone here who doesn't even understand this Spirit and doesn't understand what we're talking about, that you would reveal to them the truth of Christ. Because, Father, truly experiencing you and knowing you through faith is something that we desire all people in this room to experience. So may your Son, Jesus Christ, be glorified and lifted high. May any lost soul be found. Father, as believers, the children of God in this place, We thank you for leading us by your spirit. We pray that we would be better followers, not stubborn, hard-headed, not grieving the spirit, but yielding to the spirit. 
I pray that believers would understand the intimate access we have with you and that we would, Father, always be willing to pray and excited to pray to you. Father, we thank you for that inner assurance you give us. And we also pray that when the time comes, times come in our lives where we must suffer, that we will bear those burdens faithfully, prayerfully, and knowing they are temporary. You are a good Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us, and thank you for keeping us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll stand and sing. Jesus paid all with me. Uh, a couple of verses. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Their spots melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain; He washed it white as snow. Stay, he washed it white as snow.